0: Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Did not expect that from John. Uh, hey, so listen, normally you'd see Jeff Ramsey, a better looking, about this tall. Uh, guy normally would be teaching, so if this is your first time, whether you're tuning in or you're here, don't judge Oak City by me. Come back and give us another chance. Uh, Jeff is a phenomenal teacher, and I'd love to have you come back and hear from Jeff. Uh, as John said, we are finishing up our series called Connect the Dots. It was from the E100 Bible reading plan. I think we had a little confusion because in the New Version, it's a 100-day reading plan. You read it every single day. We decided to make it a five-day-a-week reading plan so people could have the weekends to catch up you'd be encouraged and not feel overwhelmed, but that led to some confusion. So just a quick summary was you would read during the week. We would then teach here on Sunday, and then home groups would then go through that past week's reading and teaching. So we are in the book of Revelation, not to be confused with Revelations. I've heard it called that before. I've probably called it that before. So we're in the book of Revelation. And You guys probably have a lot of thoughts that come to mind. Uh, And I'm going to ask you what you think about Revelation, what comes to mind. So go ahead and think about that. I'll ask you. I'm going to give you a chance to speak here in a second. Uh, What I wanted to do is, part of the reason Jeff asked me, my home group and I went through a small series in Revelation. So I looked at four different studies in Right Now Media. I also studied the um, Bible Project. There's some phenomenal videos that they have. It was hours of listening and reading, and I still have lots of questions on Revelation. So I'm going to warn you now, I'm not going to be able to answer every single question you have because we have a short amount of time. And I still don't have all the answers if we had all the time in the world. But what I want to do is, let me give you a roadmap. Of, I had three main questions from the book of Revelation that I want to answer today. So this, here's the three questions, and they're in your sheet as well so you can reference throughout today. The first one is, what is the book of Revelation? So what is it? And I'm going to talk about some of the historical context, And really the time period of Revelation when it was written and to whom it was written. And I want to ask you, then then why was Revelation written? Why do we have the book of Revelation? And And then from there, as we connect those dots, not only from Revelation but throughout the Bible, I'm going to ask you guys, what do we do with Revelation? So as we understand what Revelation is and why, what do we do with that? So before we do that, I just want to start with prayer. Father God, we thank you for an opportunity to come before you, to worship you, to gather, to have fellowship with one another. Father, you say where two or three are gathered, you are here. So, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here today. My prayer is that you speak through me and through your word, that you silence me, but Jesus, you are glorified through this and through revelation, and that we walk away realizing more of who you are, and we experience you today, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So listen, Revelation has really caused questions from people ever since it was written. Christians and non-Christians. Everyone has questions in Revelation. And I think lots of different generations have thought, hey, are we in the end times? Right? Think about World War II. They probably thought that they were the end times. How about now? We've had a global pandemic. We've had toilet paper shortage. Chicken wings. You know there's a shortage of chicken wings? Uh, we had a gas shortage, right? It seems like the end times. Somebody told me this week uh, that there's a shortage of Chick-fil-A sauce. I don't really care for it. My kids, if I told them that, they would probably think it's the end of the world. I don't care for it, so you can judge me on that. But listen, uh, there are so many thoughts on Revelation and end times. I was recently reading an article on NPR and then PBS. They interviewed this lady, and I forget her name. Her name is Elaine Pagels. She's supposed to be this leading religious scholar from Princeton University. And I was reading this article, and she talked about the five myths of Revelation. And one thing that really jumped out to me was she said that Revelation doesn't belong in the New Testament. And her rationale was that the God in Revelation was like the God of the Old Testament, looking for vengeance and wanting the white people out. And I thought, man, has she read her Bible? And I question it because in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7, it says this. It says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious— Slow the anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by, well, who by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And what's amazing about that, so that characteristic of God as being slow the anger, full of grace and mercy, it's repeated, Psalms 86, verses 5 and 15. It's repeated in Jonah 4, verse 2. And then Joel two thirteen, it's all all those call God as God that is slow the anger, abounding in steadfast love. So right away I see she's a leading scholar, and I'm already questioning her thought on God of the Old Testament being different than the God because the God of the Old Testament, and the New is the same. So part of why we did that E one hundred that Bible reading plan too was that we would see and experience and learn the characteristics of God from the beginning to the end. And not only that, you'd just see it and learn it with your head, but it would learn it with your heart. So for me, we at Oak City, we use some phrase uh, called the, the story of the Bible. And there's four words we like to use. We say there's creation, right? God created, and then there's the fall when sin enters. And then from there, you have the redemption, so God's plan to redeem us and make us home. And then there's the restoration, So the book of restoration really shows us redemption and restoration. And there's a little bit of creation at the end. We'll get to that in a little bit. But that really leads me to that first question. So what is the book of Revelation? What is it? So I'm going to ask you guys. This is where you get to participate. You've been thinking about that. So when you hear the word revelation, what comes to mind? I don't have a whiteboard, so I'm going to write it down. But tell me, what comes to mind? Shout them out. Mark of the beast. Yeah, what else? Tribulation. What else? Destruction. Destruction. Left, behind. Left behind. Kurt Cameron. <laughs> Kurt Cameron all right. <laughs> Being united, reunited? Yeah, good. Good. What else? couple more. Crazy. crazy. Thank you, Glenn. Second coming. All right. It's probably good I don't have a, w- a whiteboard because you would not be able to read my handwriting. I probably won't be able to read this later, but I'm going to try to reference this. You know, and you guys are right. So as you read Revelation, it's easy to say, all right, how do, I re- how do I meditate on this? How do I reflect on God's Word? What do I do with it? So let's make sense of some of this. So uh, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, turn to Revelation chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I want to kind of set the scene a little bit. So this is written by a man named John. And right from the get-go, there's already debate on who John was. Some people believe that this is John, the disciple of Jesus, while others believe he was just a prophet. I don't feel strongly either way, and I don't think you should. Uh, if you disagree, you can come talk to me later about it. But it's written by John, and I think that's where we should start. Uh, the time period, it's the year 81 AD. That will make sense here in a second, but I want to read the first three verses. So if you have your Bible, Revelation chapter 1, verses 1-3, through three, and it says this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, and even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written, for the time is near. So there's so much to gather. As I said, John is the author. And what he's doing is, they say he's having apocalyptic visions. He's having these visions from an angel and the words from Jesus. Uh, The book of Revelation even has God speak. It says from the throne, God speaks at least two or three times in the book of Revelation. So as John's getting these, you're also, as you read Revelation, you're going to notice that there's references throughout the Bible. What's really fascinating, fascinating is that there's over 400 references to the Old Testament in just the 22 chapters of Revelation. 400 old references to the Old Testament. It's amazing. And that's how we connect the dots. So, this time period, I said it was 81 AD. They had just gotten through the reign of Emperor Nero. The Roman Emperor Nero was a pretty bad dude. If you were a Christian, he persecuted you. Christians were thrown into gladiator games. They were used as props in the games. Uh, he would make some put on skins of animals, and he would have dogs chase them and run them to death. Uh, even some, he would stake to, to a stake. He would tie them to a stake in his gardens, pour oil, and use them as human candles to light his gardens. Yet the church, the Christian church, grew So you fast forward to after Nero, they had about two or three emperors all short-lived, and then you get to an emperor called Domitian. And some of you have probably never heard of Domitian, but Domitian was actually another bad emperor. And during the time of this, it was known as the second persecution of the Christians. It got so bad that scholars said that he actually told uh, the Roman Empire to wipe out the remaining lineage of David. Yet the church still grows and prospers. So he is the emperor at the time of this writing. So with that knowledge, you can kind of start to see, all right, we understand the context. Things were not good, but the church is growing. And in verse four of Revelation, it says this, it says, John to the seven churches in Asia. Now we don't have for the time today, we don't have time to go into each of the churches and talk through it, but you're probably thinking, hey, isn't there more than seven churches in Asia? And a lot of people believe there are, But Revelation, being symbolic, uses numbers. So the number seven isn't just in Revelation, it's throughout the Bible. And the number seven represents God's perfection, his completion. Just like in the beginning, he created in seven days. So when you see the number seven, it's referencing God's perfection, his completion. There's other numbers. For example, the number 12, that refers to God's people. And not just twelve, the, the the multiples of twelve. So in Revelation you see 144. hundred and forty-four thousand. That's a reference to God's people. Think about the tribe of the tribes of Israel. He had twelve tribes, and then you think about the disciples. He had twelve. So the number twelve represents God's people. Often, another number is the number forty. Forty represents trials. The Israelites were in the nation of, in the desert for forty years. Jesus was in the desert for 40 days. So you start to see these patterns. And I'm sorry if I'm geeking out, nerding out a little bit. Uh, Bear with me. I promise I'll be done with the numbers. Those numbers are important throughout the Bible, though. They are because they're not an accident. They're not some da Vinci code for us to crack and figure out the secret of life. Those numbers really show God's plan of redemption and restoration. So, Just know as you read Revelation, you're going to see numbers. You're going to see metaphors. You're going to see symbolism. And it's okay to not always understand that. Let's keep reading the rest of verses 4 through 8 So, with me. It says this, Grace to you and peace from who is and who was and who is, is to come, and the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father to him, be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him and all the tribes on the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. And these are the words that Jesus says, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So we're in the first eight verses of Revelation, and there's the gospel message. It is clear as day. And what's crazy is, I have skipped over it so many times, because I want to I get to the, the craziness. I want to get to the marks of the beast. I want to get to that destruction and tribulation. I want to get to some of that imagery. But in the first eight verses, we see the gospel message, that Jesus has freed us from our sins, that he is the king of kings. And right there, I think that's where the tension builds in Revelation. Listen, I want to be my own king. I see it in my marriage. I don't want to submit to my wife. I want to be right. I want to be King Dan. I see it with my kids. They want to be king, right? And my daughter wants to be the queen. Um, That's the tension that we live in from the time of the fall. We want to be our own kings and queens. We don't want to submit to God, to Jesus as our king. So as we start to see the gospel message in here, right, and you start to see that John is writing to these churches to encourage them, you start to see really the, just the crux of the gospel and the fact that Jesus has saved us, so we, we're saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. And that really helps lead us into that second question then. So why was Revelation written? Why do we have Revelation. And I don't want to, on your paper there's three bullet points, I don't want to confuse with three more points, but I'm going to have three sub-points of why. And the first one to me is, if you look again at the context, the time this was written, it is to give Christians an unshakable hope, especially those that are suffering. And the beauty of that, of Revelation, isn't just for them, it is for all Christians, all that have suffered. In the first eight verses, we see that Jesus is the beginning and the end. He knows it. He's written it. So it takes away the fact that there's encouragement because we know who Jesus is. And as we know who Jesus is, we learn who our identity in Christ is as well. Throughout my time, my 30-plus years, as I read the Bible, the more I, I grow in it, the more I realize that I have a heart issue. I want to be my own king. But in my life, the only book, is the Bible, has ever been able to speak to my issue. But the beauty of it, it is, doesn't just tell me my issue, it gives me a remedy, and that remedy is Jesus. So throughout Revelation, they refer to Jesus as the Lamb, as a sacrificial Lamb. So if you have your Bible with me, I want to set the scene. Turn to Revelation chapter 12. and, and I'm going to set the scene. We're going to read verses 10 and 11 here. and So what's happening is, in John's vision, He is having a vision. He has seen Satan being kicked out of heaven. And this is what what is said. It says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before our God. Let me pause there real quick and make sense of that. In the Old Testament, there's a couple of references to Satan accusing people. So the first one is in Job. where where Satan stands before God and he says, God, the only reason he doesn't fear you or he doesn't sin is because you've given him no reason to. So Satan is accusing Job in front of God. The second one is Zechariah has a vision of Joshua standing before Jesus. And on the right hand is Satan accusing Joshua. So again, you see these Old Testament, you see these dots connecting of Satan who's about to be thrown kicked out of heaven. And here's where the next connection is. So in verse 11, it says this, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb. Not by what we've done, but by the blood of the lamb. And by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives, even unto death. What John's vision here is he sees Satan kicked out and people are who have made the commandment, who have become conquerors. Romans 8 says we are more than conquerors, but it's because of the blood of Jesus, right? And then it calls us to the word of our testimony. What's really, that leads us to that second sub-bullet point of why is Revelation calls us as Christians the mission. It brings us together to say we are called to live a life for Christ, through our words, and if we even laying down our life. Jesus told, called us to lay down our lives, to pick up our cross. Jesus didn't say it was supposed to be easy, but he called us to follow him. So you see that, and, and so what, what John is doing is he's encouraging his readers to this mission. And you're like, all right, so right, let's connect the dots back to the beginning. In Genesis, in 1, I'm going to paraphrase 27 and 28, Jesus, God says he makes man and woman in his image. Genesis 1.27 says, God made man and woman in his image. And then the next verse, he says, go forth and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. And I think so often we think about, oh, that means have kids or, you know, make the Fitzgerald name known. It's not. If you look at the verse before, it is we are image bearers of God. So we are called to make more image bearers of God. So that f- multiplication often is that spiritual, or that aspect of going and representing who God is and what he's done for us. So, Revelation is a call for us to be in mission. You fast forward to Jesus after his life and then his death, and he's, before he goes to heaven, he tells his disciples, he says to go and make disciples. So, again, the mission is repeated time and time again that we are to go and make the name of Jesus known. So, that Revelation 12, to be more than conquerors, is by the word of their testimony. It's by the fact that Jesus, by his blood, has paid for it. So there's hope in that. We should be encouraged and we should be called to mission. Which leads us to that, the third element. It helps, revelation helps us connect the dots. Think about it. Has anybody ever started reading a couple chapters in the book and like, man, i got to figure out how this ends. And you skip to the end and you read the end. And you're like, all right, I, I like the ending, I'll go back. Or maybe you don't like the ending and you skip it. Well, you really can't do that with the Bible. right? You can. You'd get you'd get creation probably the fall if you get the first three chapters and then you get to this end and there's a lot of weird things but revelation connects these dots for us without revelation some of it doesn't make sense we have hope but we don't have the plan of restoration we don't see it all come together there's a quote on your piece of paper that I that Really, I wanted just to go ahead and say this quote, and I could walk off the stage and call it a sermon. Uh, But I'm going to read it to you. So if you want to read along with me, this this quote connects all the dots. And this is what it says. The purpose of Revelation is to comfort the militant church in its struggles against the forces of evil. It is full of help and comfort for persecuted and suffering Christians. To them is given the assurance that God sees their tears. Their prayers are influential in the world affairs, and their death is precious in His sight. Their final victory is assured. Their blood will be avenged. Their Christ lives and reigns forever and ever. He governs the world in the interest of His church. He is coming again to take His people to Himself in the marriage supper of the Lamb and to live with them forever in a rejuvenated universe. So that that quote from William Hendrickson summarizes Revelation so well. And for the sake of time today, what I want to do is I want to turn to Revelation chapter 21. So if you're Bible, if you turn to Revelation 21, and we're gonna, I'm going to hit on that, the rejuvenated uh, universe. So again, this is John's vision. He's Here he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city and new Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. I want to pause there real quick. You can see, if you think about just the connection of the Bible, in Genesis, God created, and he was with man and woman. He walked with Adam and Eve, he was in a relationship with them. And now you get to the end in Revelation 21, you see that God, his desire is to be in a relationship with us. He's going to come back here on earth and live with us. I mean, hallelujah. He wants to come back and be with us. He longs for us. And as we read and continue in verse 4, and this is, this is the rewards that we're going to have. He says this, And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And here is the reference that's the second time that God speaks. And he says this, And he who is seated on the throne of God, behold, I am making all things new. And I love that because that's such a reference to 2 Corinthians where Paul writes, If he is found in Christ, he is a new creation. God wants to make us new. He continues on and says, And also, he said this, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the springs of water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this inheritance, and I will be his God, and he will be my son or my daughter. And what I love about that, there is that analogy that Jesus called himself the living water. And it was throughout the Bible. And so I, I looked up, I was reading a commentary, and I love this line. They said this, drinking and thirst are common pictures of God's supply and man's spiritual need. Drinking is an action, but an action of receiving, like faith. Jesus calls us, when he was at the woman at the well, he called her to drink of the living water. He calls us to drink of his living water, but without a cost to us. So, you can see how Revelation connects from the very beginning all the way through the Bible. Without it, we have a lot of, we have some gaps, we have question marks. So, Revelation gives us hope as we're suffering, gives gives encouragement. Revelation calls us to mission. And Revelation really connects the dots of the Bible for us. So, I, I can see you, you're on that your seat, you're like, hey, Dan, this is Revelation. You've got to talk about the good stuff. The mark of the beast. What else did you guys say? Destruction, tribulation, um, Kurt Cameron. I'll leave that one out. Right? But we have questions about it. A- and for me, as I was studying this, I was blown away by the fact that the gospel is the center of Revelation. And if you have your Bible, if you, if you look in your Bible, the words in here are red. Not all of them, but there are lots of these words are red because those are the words of Jesus. Revelation is important because he speaks to us through that But I think part of that is that there's tension. Because we say, well, what do we do with the book of Revelation? So I can understand the historical context. I can understand the time. I get that it it should call me the mission. It should encourage me. It should connect dots. But what do I do with all this? And I know this is going to probably sound like a really Sunday church answer. But for me, what God has spoken is that we are called to trust him. Let let me explain. Uh, So let me take a step back. Quick show of hands. Who has read the left-behind books? pretty good amount of us all right i grew up i read them and i thought i had revelation figured out i was like man there's so much but i got it i'm smart and then i started reading revelation and i realized ooh the theology is not the best this is there's some fiction but what really jumps out to me now is that the gospel was not the center there's a, there's a lot of great stuff and and fortunately i remember reading them i wanted to do a video a left behind video so if you read the books there's a one of the pastors had made a video and people found it and it was like, hey, if you're left behind and Jesus came back and raptured us, I wanted to do that. Fortunately, my parents didn't let me. Um, it's not personal, so I'll just leave it at that. But you take that step back and as we study Revelation, we're supposed to trust God. So you're like, all right, Dan, okay, I get that. I trust God, but there's stuff that doesn't make sense. There's a seven-headed dragon. There's, the, uh, there's wars. There's plagues that are similar to the Exodus. So what I want to say to that is, it is okay to be frustrated. It's okay to not know. I think part of that tension, though, started in the garden. When God said, told Adam, Eve, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan lied to them and said, hey, you can be like God. You and I, we want to be our own king or queen. We want to be like God. So there's a, there's a healthy tension, there's an unhealthy tension of trying to figure out what revelation, what it all means. But it takes faith to say, hey, God, I don't get this. And I trust you because you are the beginning and the end. I think some of that, um, Ken posted in our Bible reading, he, wrote, he posted a, a, on day 97, if you haven't read the quote, it's great, from the Gospel Coalition. And I'm going to summarize it because it's a really long quote. Let me just paraphrase it for you. It says this, that there's a reminder that we should expect frustration when we're learning something new. As we put in effort to learn something, we should just expect frustration. But the key is that the Bible is far more than just a delivery of information to us. It aims to shape the way we think and the way we act. This means more often than not, we should expect to experience frustration as we sit down to read the Bible. And that quote speaks to it because it goes back to the fact that we were made to be dependent on God. I see my kids that are two, four, and six that want to be so independent. But in the very beginning, they're made to depend on us, right? As babies, we are made to depend on God. And so often, we don't want to. So there's this tension of trying to figure it out to say, I want to know because I don't want to have to rely on God. There's that terrible saying that says, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's the biggest lie. Because if God didn't give us more than we could handle, we would never need God. And the thing is, the same goes not only with studying the Bible, but with our walk with Jesus. Jesus tells us to pick up our cross. He doesn't say it's going to be easy. He doesn't promise a nice house, nice things. Jesus says that we are to follow him, to lay down our life. As it read in Revelation 12, right, the, that they were more than conquerors by their word, by their testimony, to the point that it cost them their life. That's what we're supposed to take from Revelation, is that we are to trust God as the Alpha and make Omega, the beginning and the end, to say, God, you know the beginning and the end, you wrote it, and we trust you. And let the details not be the, the issue. Let the gospel be the center of our lives. So as we... Uh, kind of close, I want to give you one more verse from Revelation. Let me actually give you two more verses, I lied. Uh, So in chapter 22 is the end of Revelation. Verse 13, again you see Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And in verse 17 it says this, the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. We are all spiritually thirsty. If this is your first time hearing of Jesus or you've, you've heard of him and you know him for your head but not your heart, I would invite you today, uh, come talk to me. Come talk to John. We'd love to, to really lay out the gospel for you, to have a conversation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, Revelation calls us to come all right, the quench our thirst in Jesus. If you're a follower, uh, revelation should give us hope. Our hope shouldn't be in politics. shouldn't be in our wealth. shouldn't be in what we do, or our power, or our titles. It shouldn't be in our identity other than Jesus. So if your hope today is not only in Jesus, you can confess that's between you and God. But then I'm going to ask you after you do is to take this next step and to call you the mission by our testimony, by our words, to share the love and the grace and the truth of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you don't leave us to ourselves. That God, that you desire to make things new, that you desire to restore life with us. Jesus, we thank you that through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, we can have hope, we can have peace, we can have purpose. Jesus, I pray for those that today that don't know you, that they would learn to know you with all their hearts, that they would call you king of their hearts. Jesus, that they would drink, they take the action of receiving your living water. And Jesus, for those of us that do know you and that love you and follow you, my hope and my prayer is that we would, we would trust you that we would leave the details to you, that we would say, Jesus, we see that you are the center of the Bible. Not just Revelation, but all the Bible. That, Jesus, we would cling to you and say, you are our hope, our living hope. You are the cornerstone, of Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.